So we're reading from Luke 1, 67 to 80. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, now, it would be really good uh, for you if you could keep your Bible open there at uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, which is what we're going to be considering this morning. Uh, on your way in, hopefully you received a sermon outline, uh, two versions available, one for those who need more distraction, um, and those for other one for others who, who don't need so much. Um, there's still some available out the back if you uh, would require one of those uh, as well. Well, as, as we are all aware, we've made mention already, today is uh, the first time in nine months, uh, maybe just a little bit over, that we have been able to gather together as a whole church, one place at the one time. On the 19th of March, uh, we made the call uh, that we would not be able to physically gather and that we would go online and we wouldn't be able to meet face to face. When we made that call, we had no idea uh, how long it would be. Uh, Some of us thought it might be for quite a while, but I don't think that any of us really thought that it would be nine months. And so up until the last few weeks, when uh, a few more have been able to gather, on a Sunday morning from our lounge rooms, uh, maybe with a cup of coffee and an Audi, uh, we have sat in front of a screen and a camera. But today we are back. It's a bit different. Uh, it may not be... The same for quite a while, but finally we are back together. And this is something good. And it's something that is worth celebrating. And it's something that is worth being excited about. And if if you're excited to be together as church this morning, then good. It is something that is very good. Nine months of being apart, nine months of isolation, not being able to sing together, worship together, see one another, and today that is possible. Now as we open up our passage this morning here in Luke chapter 1, we actually have another occasion of nine months later. Nine months after the passage that Reuben opened up for us last week. Nine months later, in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
this elderly, godly couple. Uh, last week, Reuben started from the, the, the beginning of the story of, of the Gospel of Luke. And we were introduced to Zechariah in the temple where an angel came to him and promised that he and his wife would have a son and a very special son that would prepare the way for the Saviour. Well, in the previous nine months, a lot has happened. Elizabeth fell pregnant. Um, Zechariah was silent. He couldn't speak because he didn't believe what the angel had told him. But here we are at the end of chapter 1, nine months later, and things are very different. This baby called John has finally been born. And Zechariah, finally, after nine months, can speak again. Well, I wonder what Zechariah's first words after nine months of silence are going to be. What, what would you say if you couldn't speak for nine months? What would be the first words out of your mouth? Well, we're told here. In fact, if you want to jump back a few verses to verse uh, 64, it tells us what happened. Once he had named the baby John, it says, And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and he spoke, blessing God. What does Zechariah do after nine months? He blesses God. It's there at the start of our passage as well. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, often when we think about blessing in the Bible, uh, we particularly think about the way that God blesses us. God pours out his mercy and his grace and his favor and his goodness on us. God blesses us richly. But many times in the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms, it talks about his people blessing God. And it's often associated with mouths speaking and singing of the greatness and the goodness of God. God's people bless him when they speak and they sing of his goodness and his greatness. And that is what Zechariah is doing here after nine months of silence. He is blessing God. He is speaking. He is singing of God's goodness and his greatness. So on a day when we celebrate that we can be back together when we're excited that our isolation from one another is over, we want to look at what the focus of our thankfulness and our worship and our speaking and our singing should be. Why we bless the Lord. Why we speak and sing well of our God. And I want to have a look at three things that Zechariah says he blesses God for in these verses. And I'll give you a clue. It's got nothing to do with silence. And it's got nothing to do with his own son. And it's got everything to do with Jesus. 
Let's have a look at the first one there. It's there in verse 68. The first reason he starts straight away with it is that God has visited his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people. The God of heaven and earth, the God who created everything, including the furthest reaches of the universe, stars that are millions of light years away, the God, in a sense, who is spirit and who cannot be seen, has come and visited his people. Now, one of the great aspects that we often speak about and we sing about surrounding the the events of the birth of Jesus is the visits from all the angels across that period of time. We had a look at one of them last week, didn't we, where where the angel Gabriel came from the very throne room of God to speak to Zechariah. In the intervening nine months, uh, Gabriel has been at it again. Uh, This time he has come and he's visited Mary and proclaimed that she will give birth to a son, a saviour. In the Gospel of Matthew, you have the angel angel that visits Joseph twice, once before the birth and then again after the birth of Jesus. And of course, we've already sung about those angels on the night that Jesus was born who came to the shepherds to announce the good news of a saviour that had come. And this is quite incredible. God's messengers, after 400 years of silence, are finally speaking again. God's messengers are announcing something incredible. But that is not quite the fullness of why Zechariah blesses God. Something else is going on here. Jump down a little bit in this song with me, will you, to verse 75 or verse 76, where, where, where Zechariah begins to speak of his own son, John, and, and who he is and what he will do. And he says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This amazing thing of angels visiting but there is something even bigger the Lord himself is coming and he's coming to visit his people that great promise of the Bible that God will live with his people that great tension and longing for people to be in the presence of their God. That great division that was created at the fall in Genesis 3, where God no longer walked and talked with his people, all of that is about to end. Because it's going to be more than an angel, more than a temple, more than a pillar of fire. God is about to dwell with his people again. Now, over the course of the year, uh, just about all of us um, have mastered a new skill, uh, the skill of using Zoom. And I say just about all of us because we've all know what's happened on the occasional Sunday morning. We've all seen the odd glitch and 
hang-up that's happened. Most of us have mastered Zoom over that time. Some of us have created us some great moments of comedy relief uh, on a Sunday morning. But Zoom has been great in a way, hasn't it? It's been really good. It's been a good way to stay together and stay connected at a time when we've been apart. But the whole way through, we have known that as good as it is, it is not a perfect substitute. It's been good, but it's not been great. And we've longed for what is best, to be physically gathered together. Now, the whole way through the Old Testament, there was lots of good when it came to the presence of God. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. And he, he led Israel with, with a pillar of cloud and a, and, a, and a pillar of fire. And he was present amongst his people in a tabernacle and a temple. And it was good, but it wasn't best. Why is Zechariah blessing God? Because best is here. God is with his people God is coming and he's come in the Lord Jesus and he's lived and he's dwelt amongst his people. And they gave him the name Emmanuel because it's God with us. And as he was about to depart, he was about to go back to the Father, he said, never will I leave you or forsake you. He promised another comforter would come and he sent the Holy Spirit to live with his people. God has visited and God has stayed. He's not one of those pesky visitors that meets four good opportunities to leave. He's a visitor that we want and we want to stay and we want to be in his presence. Well, then the question has got to be, what is he visited for? Why do we want the presence of God so let's move on to the second reason why we bless God. And it's also there in verse 68. Because not only has he visited, he has redeemed his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now you'll notice that at the very start of this, it says that Zechariah prophesied. And what we have here in the song or the psalm, uh, this poem is a, is a prophecy. And as a prophecy, it, it talks about what is about to come in the future. Um, but it's actually, prophecy is often teaching what is already true. And in many ways, Zechariah is doing both, isn't he? He's talking about what's to come, but he's also telling what is true. And the great theme of this prophecy is God's incredible redemption for his people. Look at what it says there in verse 69. It says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, when it talks about the horn there, it's, it's talking about the horn of an, of an animal, like, like a rhinoceros, a, a symbol of strength and of power, where kind of all the, the power of that animal can be focused in that one point. Uh, it's talking about God raising up a, a force of power and of strength and in the Bible, it's often associated with the power of a king. And that's what the next line says. 
in the house of his servant David. There's a, a powerful king that God has raised up. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all uh, who hate us. Verse 74, and that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies. God has come. God has, God has visited. God has sent his king with strength and with power to rescue, to redeem, to deliver his people from their enemies. He's come to set people who were captive free. He's come to set people who were in slavery free once again. He's come to bring people into the incredible freedom that he designed people for. Now, as Reuben mentioned last week, when, when Zechariah speaks of freedom here, he's speaking in a context where people longed to be free again. In one way or another, this nation of Israel had been conquered and occupied and ridden roughshod over for three or four or even more centuries. One after the other, the world powers of the day had swept through, defeated them and held them in captive. And generations of Israelite people had been born and lived and died not as free people. And Zechariah says this, the Romans were just simply the last in a long line of conquerors to sweep their way through. And possibly the most brutal and the most all-conquering of all. Man and people long to be free again. They long for the promises of God to be a free people, and more than that, to be someone powerful themselves. And so when people hear God has redeemed us, that is what they long for. We need to jump a little bit further in this song. Because Zechariah is about to say something which will give new shape to the freedom that he speaks about. A better shape to this freedom. In fact, the true shape of freedom that there is. Have a look at verse 71. Look at what this, this son of his will do as he prepares the way for the Lord. He will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. You see, Zechariah is speaking here of the greatest enemy of them all. A greater slavery, a greater oppression. And it's not one that comes from outside of us. It's one that comes from within. It's our own sin. And it enslaves us and it brutalizes us and it ruins us from the inside. And worst of all, it keeps us from the God who created us and it puts us under his judgment. Our sin means that you can be externally as free as you want to be and you're still a slave. You can have the lifting of all restrictions that there are. You can go about your life without having to sign in, 
without having to distance, without wearing a mask. You can have the money to go where you want to go and do what you want to do. You can have great relationships and a fantastic job. You can be as good looking as you desire to be. You can have everything that screams freedom. And you'll still be a slave. We will still have an all-conquering enemy that rules our lives and brings about our death and destruction. And it's our sin. So why does Zechariah bless God here? Why does he speak well of God's goodness and his greatness? Why does he sing of his God and his power? Because he's raised up a horn. He sent a king to save us from our greatest enemy. He sent a king to forgive our sins. He's come to bring people, slave people, into a wonderful and a glorious freedom. He's come, as the, at the end of the song says, to bring light to people who dark, live in darkness and to guide our feet in the way of peace. There's no doubt that this Christmas will be, will be a special celebration particularly for people living in Victoria. We'll celebrate the freeing of restrictions, not wearing masks, 30 people gathered in our homes, wonderful freedoms that we've longed many months for. But you and I, if our, if our trust is in Christ, we have the greatest freedom of all to bless God for to rejoice in and to celebrate. It's a freedom that's available to slaves and to those in prison. It's a freedom that no government can ever give you and no government can ever take it away from you. It's a freedom from our sin. It's guilt and it's shame, it's punishment and our power. it's power. It's freedom that is found as our God forgives us and sets us free. Well, how does this come about? How is God going to bring it? Well, I want to look at a third and a final reason for us blessing God. And it's mentioned twice here in this song. It helps explain why this rescue and why this redemption and why this visitation has come. It's because God has shown us mercy. Have a look at there, verse 72. Talking about being saved from our enemies. It says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Verse 78 again. Because of the tender mercy of our God. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I, I played a game called Mercy. I don't know, kids still play that game today. Not so kids play that game still, uh, I am sure as well. You know that, that game where you lock your hands together and you basically just squeeze with all your might and you grit your teeth and you try to inflict as much pain on the other person as possible until they scream mercy. Basically, relent, give up, stop. 
give me some relief from this. You can play it afterwards. All over there. Actually, sanitize first, please. There are things around. Well, you know, it's, it's pain that is relieved from you because you deserve it, because you're playing a dumb game uh, as well. But here, mercy doesn't start with us. Doesn't start with us begging for it or screaming for it. It starts with a God who has tender mercy on wayward, rebellious, guilty, sinful people. It means that God relents on bringing on us the punishment that we deserve. It means that God finds a way to set people free who are under a sentence of death because they have rebelled, sinned, gone their own way against the God who created them and who loves them and has treated them with kindness. And that's what God has come to do. That's why God has visited his people. That's how God has set his people free. That punishment didn't just disappear. The Lord Jesus took that on himself. I remember quite, quite a number of years ago, 20 years ago, uh, as a vicar, that means that one year that, that trainee guys get to spend in the church before they become fully badged pastors. Ruben's a vicar next year. Uh, when I was a vicar, Tracy and I, we went out for dinner. And we went to this little pastor joint. A pastor pastor uh, in Melbourne. We are doing our vicariate. We sit down, we're having a meal. And uh, we noticed that there was a guy uh, from the church we were doing our vicariate. And he was also uh, sitting by himself having his meal. And we didn't know him very well, so we came over. He exchanged, we exchanged a few pleasantries. And then he got up and, and he left. Uh, we enjoyed our, our dinner. We didn't think much more of it. And then at the end of it, I went up to pay. And there the, uh, the, the, the guy, the girl behind the counter said, no need. Uh, it's been paid for already. This wonderfully kind guy had, had paid for his own meal and he'd paid for our meal at the same time. And I, I remember just this kind of feeling of just warmth and, and gratitude and, and thankfulness. And of course, the next time we saw him, we said, oh, thanks so much for that. It was, uh, that was really generous of you. But not just today, but every day of our lives, we have the greatest reason of all for thankfulness and praise and worship. Because our God has not just paid a few dollars for a meal. He has generously extended mercy to us and he's paid the greatest debt of all. He's paid for our sin with his own life so that we could be forgiven. Romans chapter 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one would dare even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Church, I, I do need to ask us today, do you know that? And I don't mean do you know about that. I'm sure that everyone here has heard about that before, but do you know it? Have you experienced the tender mercies of our God? His powerful rescuing work that he came and he visited us for where he took our sin and our guilt and our punishment on a cross and he bore it in our place. Have you come to the Saviour weighed down and burdened by guilt pleading for mercy and found it in Jesus, our King. You might say to me, though, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the things that I've thought about and the, the things that I've said and the things that nobody else knows about. You don't know all the funky ways that I've invented to, to do my own thing. You're right, I, I don't know. And I don't need to know because I can't do anything about it. But God, he does know. He knows the heart of every single person. He knows the sin only too well because he suffered and he died for it. And he extends to the worst of sinners tender mercy, forgiveness and life and freedom. He invites you to receive it. Well, then again, you, you might actually say, but, but I'm actually a pretty good person. I, I, I've been at church every Sunday of my life, apart from these nine months where I sat at home. Uh, I've, I've, you know, been a youth group. I, I know the Bible well. I'm nowhere near as bad as other people. To be honest, I worry about you more than I worry about the others. Because in itself, it is a rebellion and an arrogance to think that we don't need the forgiveness of this God. That alone brings us under his judgment. But to us too, God extends his tender mercy in his Son. He invites us to see the enormity of our sin as it's displayed on a cross where a perfect substitute suffers and dies. He invites us to come and to turn from our arrogance and to put our hope and our trust in him. This is truly a Christmas unlike any other. Maybe more than ever, there is stuff to appreciate and celebrate and be happy about. But nothing comes close to the joy and celebration and the worship that comes from knowing the God who visits, the God who redeems, the God who extends to us his tender mercy. And let's pray to him.
Lord God, we thank you this morning. We bless you. We praise you. For you have come and visited and you have redeemed. You have extended to us your tender mercy. Lord God, you've done that in the most costly, gracious and generous way possible. By bearing our sin and our guilt and our shame. Lord, to you we come this morning. Some of us, Lord, we may come for the first time and we ask, Lord, that we would know your grace and your forgiveness. And some of us come, Lord, for the thousandth time. But still we come with joy and with thankfulness and praise of you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.